0: Welcome to Health 4.0 Leadership Podcast. My name is Namrata Bagaria and I'm your host. Our today's guest is Mr. Saurabh Saha. Saurabh is a serial entrepreneur. Welcome, Saurabh. Hi, Namrata. So, Saurabh, as you know, this podcast is for Health 4.0 Leadership Institute, which aims to create and build leadership and capacity for Health 4.0 ecosystem. So can you explain to us, how are you contributing in the present ecosystem, in what capacity and what are your top three mandates?
1: Well, to be, to be, to be fair and precise, uh, I've had a long stint in the tech industry, but in this last 16 years that I've been a part and parcel of the tech industry in various capacities, I haven't had the opportunity to actually dabble in healthcare because I was predominantly occupied by something else but now uh, for the last one year or so i have actually dedicated a part of my time towards policy making in the context of healthcare because uh, if you talk about a, an emerging economy like india it's a primordial need the access to healthcare itself has become uh, way too important ever since the uh, COVID 19 pandemic hit we have seen how important it is to invest uh, invest time and money in healthcare so uh, so if you were to ask me about my uh, in what capacity? Then I I would say that for the timing I am I am pursuing healthcare in the capacity of a policymaker. I would be working closely with the government over the next couple of years to create policies around healthcare. And since I'm also a part and parcel of the startup entrepreneurial a startup ecosystem in India, uh, I would actively be involved in maybe mentoring startups who are operating in the healthcare space. There are a bunch of startups that have started. Over the last few years in the health, in the healthcare and the health tech space, so would love to uh, nurture, mentor, and groom these startups because apparently they, these startups have come up with some uh, some very innovative approaches to solving healthcare problems. Um, as far as the top three mandates in healthcare are concerned, I'd say that uh, access, universal access to healthcare. Um, um, Diagnostic, diagnostic uh, problem resolutions,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, and insurance around healthcare. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so these are three areas which where I see a lot of uh, chaos, and I guess uh, I would like to center my energies around these three areas.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So sort of what were your challenges and your learnings so far? Like if you have to say top three takeaways, and then how are you proceeding with them further?
1: Uh, well, I think uh, the top three takeaways—it uh, would be difficult to uh, sum up top three takeaways because uh, everything has been a learning experience so far.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: uh, if I were to just sum up and talk about the top three takeaways, first thing is that uh, uh, we actually live in a world full of assumptions. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, as when I was a part of, you uh, know, part of the corporate as a programmer and a product manager. Mm-hmm. Most of what I saw was uh, namely assumptions, you know, and people who mm-hmm. basically work on assumptions and spend countless man hours mm-hmm. and resources and money and eventually come up with uh, maybe a product or a feature that mm-hmm. might not have any takers, or in other words, it might not be solving any problem. Mm-hmm. So, I think uh, one takeaway would be not to live in a world full of mm-hmm. assumptions, but rather to validate every single hypothesis you have in your mind. Uh, number two would be, um, you know, um, as I'm getting to, um, as I'm getting to understanding more and more about behavioral psychology and uh, anthropology and uh, stuff like that, I I've come to realize that uh, it's it's pertinent for human beings or for uh, tech people, namely, to understand human human behavior at a, at a far more uh, far more closer level using psychology and the tenets of psychology because what, what usually happens is that human behavior is inherently very complex, right? And if you were to dissect that behavior and try to understand it, it'll take a lot of time. So what happens is that you end up creating products. Or let me, or let me give you a better example. Like um, Theodore Levitt, one of the fathers of modern marketing, he had, a, he had written a seminal paper called uh, Marketing Myopia.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And one of, the, one of the important points that he stressed on was that what customers usually want is a square inch hole, mm-hmm. but what people are actually giving is a square inch drill. So the actual problem is a square inch hole, not a square inch drill,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is exactly what is happening in the startup ecosystem across the world. Not only in India, but across the world that I see that people are coming up with solutions without even understanding how, how customers would react to those solutions so i think it's very important for one to understand the psychology of human or maybe a consumer mm-hmm. and then provide solutions to it mm-hmm. otherwise there's always going to be one disconnect mm-hmm. and i think uh third takeaway would be that uh, i think in a place like india since i've grown up in india uh, i've seen that um, mm-hmm. since we follow a really archaic education system out here in india we mm-hmm. don't really appreciate failure you know it's considered something it's considered a cardinal sin mm-hmm. to fail in India, mm-hmm. which is what I've observed even in school and college. That if you flunk in your class, mm-hmm. you are probably subjected to a lot of, uh, uh, you know, lot of insult and lot of humiliation and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of torture, you know, mm-hmm. as, a, as a kid. But I think on the contrary, failure is perhaps the only thing that can actually teach you a lot about life, you know, because the more the the second you fail, you learn a new lesson. Mm-hmm. Uh, about what works and what doesn't work. And if you talk about that in retrospect, Edison perhaps failed 10,000 times. That's how he came up, with the, came up with the idea of how he can crack the problem of lighting a bulb. Right? So I think a uh, third takeaway would be that failure should be taken in a far more positive manner and failure should be celebrated. And I remember reading a paper by World Bank where they said that countries like Israel and Estonia, they actually celebrate failure. There's actually a failure day which happens where uh, companies gather together and you know celebrate the failures and talk about the learnings and all that. I think we have something called failcon in India also, where you know failures are celebrated among startups and retail companies. Mm-hmm. But I think we need to foster a culture where failure becomes an integral part of our uh, of our society. And I think people should be, if not condoned, then they should be made to realize that failure is actually good for them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So so I would want that as the third takeaway, mm-hmm. which is which is where we we still have to, we still have a long way to go mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And sort of can you tell us specifically how do you envision uh, health 4.0 like what are the current opportunities or collaborations you to look at, or what are the technologies or regulations or uh, apps or devices you see being relevant uh, with regards to health 4.0?
1: See, I think, I think uh, uh, before I get into or uh, delve deep into health 4.0, I think it's very important to realize one thing, be it healthcare or some of the sector, I think there is a lot of useless hoopla around technology across the world, right? I mean, I see a lot of people, uh, you know, a lot of people getting extremely excited around technologies like artificial intelligence, machine learning, yeah. or maybe IoT, or maybe augmented reality, and so on and so forth. But... What is actually important is how those technologies could be used mm-hmm. to create an impact. Mm-hmm. For instance, um, how do you use something like a Watson mm. to detect cancer? Right. So let's say let's say let's talk about a use case. A use case would be that uh, since there is a dearth of doctors in a specific city, mm. um, it's very difficult for someone to uh, to kind of. Uh, Let's say differentiate between four different types of tumors, which kind of appear similar on uh, normal histology tests, Mm. right? Now, if you were to have like a Watson Mm. figure out the difference between those tumors, right? And give the right report to the doctor or the the nursing assistant. Then that is the impact that I'm talking about. So if AI can solve, cut down on several manner that a doctor uh, or maybe the need for a doctor and give accurate reports right which can basically tell the doctor that yes this there is a there is something called a cancer there, there is a specific cancer and this is exactly the report and this is exactly how it's generated and all that we can actually save lives because i think one of the if you talk about cancer one of the reasons why people actually die of cancer is not because they have cancer because they are too late to detect its cancer right mm-hmm. so that ways technology could be really helpful because it will it, it can be fast to detect uh cancers and then i think now that we are uh, you know we have come up with things like crispr and all these uh, various disruptive uh, mechanisms in, in the medical field i guess over the next 5 to 10 years you might see a lot in the genetic industry you might see a lot in terms of gene uh, gene editing and stuff like that so uh, so yeah i mean um, so the point that i'm trying to make is that technology is just a medium to mm-hmm. fix something. It's just a tool, right? Mm-hmm. So it should be used a tool as a tool to impact something. Mm-hmm. And that impact is far more valuable to us. Mm-hmm. So I would say that today if you look at uh, the current set of technologies like, uh, you know, artificial intelligence and machine learning and deep learning that's actually driving autonomous cars or that's actually, uh, you know, working in a retail setup and trying to identify people and their behavioral mechanisms using data and all. I would say that there's a lot of scope for these technologies to be used in healthcare 4.0. That's number one. Number two would be, I think, the biggest problem that I see in emerging economies uh, like India or maybe maybe Bangladesh or maybe um, Afghanistan or maybe other countries which fall in that sphere is that there's a complete lack of access to medical care. You know? so, so if you talk about India as a country, I would say that. Out of 1.3 billion people, they might be close to 50% people. Let's say 50% or 40% people who might not have any access to healthcare. Right? Mm-hmm. And how do you ensure that people have access to healthcare? How do you ensure that their families are, you know, families get adequate access to healthcare as and when required? Mm-hmm. And that is a major problem. So if you talk about the problem statement, the problem statement would be access, uh, lack of access to uh, to healthcare. And if how do you use technology to kind of solve that problem? Is it, so for instance, let me give an example, uh, for blood pressure as an ailment or as a, con- as a medical condition, um, maybe say 20 years back or 25 years back, um, you, you had to go to a doctor to get yourself checked. Right? Today, you have these blood pressure machines which you can keep at home and, keep it, and you can check your blood pressure yourself and understand where you are so we have advanced to that level where now you can keep a t- keep a tab on your blood pressure and uh, your you know several vital stats of your body and uh, and kind of uh, kind of you know uh, be more aware and be more uh, uh, be more conscious of your health health white uh, health white vitals as opposed to that's a 10 or 15 years earlier mm-hmm. so i think uh, i would say that uh, techn- if technology can simplify that right and if technology can help uh, poor people and in fact any any person in this country respect of their economic status mm-hmm. to have tab over his vitals mm-hmm. using the, using any tool of framework that'll be really helpful that's mm-hmm. exactly what technology should do and i'm afraid it's not been done yet
0: yeah like my next question ties into the obstacles and i'll just touch upon this myself because i'm also from india as you know that And i worked in uh, telemedicine and tele-access to health. So I started a nonprofit eight years ago and the tagline was universal access to public health. Mm -hmm. And uh, we actually tried using uh, telemedicine mobile diagnostic kits. So i worked a lot in that uh, early 2000s, like 2010, sorry, like 11, 12, 13, 14. And at that time, the challenges were basically network and communications were not available. We didn't have access to like, you know, internet everywhere or electricity everywhere to do those kind of things that was the first challenge and the other challenges was more around regulations okay who gives it how stuff like that and then the the new government came in around 2015 and they started something called neha telemedicine act and then nothing happened beyond that you know um so so i'm like this is my like my personal experience has been that there are a lot of stuff already available and integrating it with existing systems in a, in a meaningful way which is not possible because of the physical infrastructure is not ready for it uh, and initially the customer onboarding was very difficult but now with the pervasion uh, of technologies everywhere that's that has become a low low hanging fruit so in light of all this what do you now see are the current obstacles of adoption in when we are designing health 4.0
1: Well, to answer that, uh, we'd probably have to go a little, little back to into the history of India. So, India, as we all know, now that you're from India, uh, you'll be familiar with the fact that we have pretty much a very rudimentary economy, a nascent economy, so to speak, right? And it just means we've just had 71 years of, 72 years of democracy. And, uh, and I think uh, if you talk about healthcare per se, I think after post-90, I suppose, most of the healthcare reforms kind of started then. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think uh, you know, healthcare in terms of prenatal care, postnatal care, a lot of other things, I jump started post two thousands and all. So I think if you talk about the healthcare industry per se, uh, we are pretty much at a rudimentary stage right now. Mm-hmm. And and I think to top it all, I think the worst, biggest problem that I have seen, uh, you know, by reading literature around healthcare and stuff is that um, we as an economy have not invested significantly in research. Right now, the research could be anything. It could be related to medical, it could be related to um, education, or anything for that instance. But the question is that we have invested. We have not invested that much in research because of which, if you talk about research, you know there are three different types of research. Right? One is pure basic research, which we call the Bose quadrant. Then there is user-inspired research, which is which we call the pasture quadrant. Right? And then you have pure applied research, which we call the Edison quadrant. Now, if you look at pure basic research. It has just started in economies like uh, Taiwan, Southeast Asia, Hong Kong. Uh, let's, say, let's talk about China also. And all. When you talk about user-inspired research, this is where your superpowers are. You know, America and uh, United Kingdom and a couple of other superpowers here and there. But when you talk about pure applied research, that happens only in a few countries in the world, which are superlative in terms of uh, healthcare and all other things. I would like to say Japan is one of those economies, Germany being the next economy, and so on and so forth. So I think if you look at look at look at healthcare from a research perspective, we haven't even touch-based your basic research. So we still have a long way to go, which is why we are reliant on a lot of other countries outside India for stuff related to research. We still don't have a lot of answers related to medicine, right? When you talk about uh, Healthcare, first of all, you have to invest significantly in research, which is what will lead you to a lot of, lot of new, uh, you know, discoveries, a lot of new inventions and innovations across that. Then you have to have a very, uh, you know, you have to have a formidable public and private partnership, you know, in, in healthcare, you know, you have to tie up uh, and you have to make, uh, you have to subsidize uh, medical access for people. Uh, I'll give an example uh, in India. You have, uh, you have two hospitals, two hospital chains, rather, uh, called Arvid care and uh, uh, Narayan Hidalaya, which started by two entrepreneurs. And uh, these are famous because they provide healthcare access to almost everyone from every strata of the society, irrespective of their economic background. And it's running really well, they can still generate a significant amount of profit. And it's, I think it's one of these hospitals happens to be a Harvard case study for Harvard Business Review. But I think somehow they have managed to crack the healthcare problem in the context of uh, providing access to people, right? So we have to emulate such models and you know kind of uh, make them a part of, of like a system where the government, the public enterprises and the private enterprises tie up and make healthcare accessible to people because see, the point is not Healthcare is something that should be available to every citizen of a country, irrespective of which background you come from, it doesn't matter. As a, as a democracy, as a country that's, that's, you know, that's progressing, we should in think of this as, the, as a primordial need as opposed to a tertiary need, which is what it is right now. So a lot of people in India, I mean, we are lucky that um, you know, the COVID-19 strain hasn't spread uh, that exponentially in India. But uh, but I think the biggest problem that I see, which you know, which people are admitting now, is that if had it happened, had it gone, uh, you know, a had it actually been a been a pandemic of sorts, or, or you know, and had spread like an exponential level, we would have actually seen something like a you know mass wipeout kind of situation. Because uh, if you look at if you look at a place like Bangalore. Uh, just cutting an example to explain my point, we have a we have a population of 1.3 cr, mm-hmm. and in that 1.3 cr, if you talk about 10 uh, percent, uh, you know 10 percent uh, people who get afflicted by uh, corona, mm-hmm. then you have around uh, 13 lakh people, right? Mm-hmm. And out of the 13 lakh, if there are let's say 10 percent old people, then you have around uh, Maybe 1.3 lakh uh, old people, but for them, for all these people, the number of ventilators happens only to be 700. Mm-hmm. So this is exactly the same situation in every city. So mm-hmm. for a for a black swan event like a corona epidemic, which is highly infectious, although the mortality rate is not that high, mm-hmm. uh, we still don't have. I mean. When countries like Italy and U.S., which were supposed to have superlative medical uh, facilities available, mm-hmm. they are battling it out and having a hard time. Then mm-hmm. I think we are actually nowhere mm-hmm. in terms of coping up with this entire thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, so we are, we, are, we, are, we are kind of quintessentially lucky that it has not spread in India the way it actually spread in Italy or, or U.S.
0: Mm-hmm. So I would
1: say that, yeah, so I think I would say that we still have a long way to go. We have to take it very seriously and uh, we have to make it an important part of our mandate if we were to go ahead.
0: So Saurabh, what do you think would be the drivers of these of, of change for this? Like what, what needs to be factored in now to motivate the adoption of technology as this health system reform?
1: See, I think uh, so. So, I think there are two aspects to it. First aspect is that, um, as I say, that prevention is better than cure, mm-hmm. right? So, I think a uh, lot of diseases in India or places like India happen because uh, because of unhygienic living conditions, right? And some or say, or maybe environments which are not conducive to someone's someone living inside them. Mm-hmm. So, if you can just you know make make people aware of. The disastrous consequences of living in such areas, mm-hmm. and you know, and in, under unhygienic conditions, it might solve almost sixty to seventy percent of the problem, right? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people might not fall sick at all. Mm-hmm. I think if you look at if you look at the disease curve of India, you would find that a lot of these so-called epidemics that happen happen. Uh, I remember in two thousand sixteen, uh, there was a there was a wave of dengue. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that, uh, that struck across India in different parts of India. Mm-hmm. And that is something that can be stopped, right? Because if you if you, if you can just stop the flow of water or accumulation of water across different different areas, uh, you can actually stop dengue, Mal- malaria, mm-hmm. and all these different kinds of diseases. So I'm saying that, what I'm saying is that awareness
0: mm-hmm. and a
1: proactive effort by the government to educate people on the disastrous consequences of such living conditions and mm-hmm. the importance of hygiene could actually solve a larger part of the problem. The mm-hmm. second part is the curing part. Suppose that uh, in spite of all, all the measures taken, people still fall sick. Mm-hmm. Then is there a way for them to um, get the right care and the right attention? And the, and also, do we have the right amount of resources available? Because if I look at, and I have worked, uh, dedicated almost 12, nine to 12 months last year, um, in, in one of the most interior places in India. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the, so I have seen that uh, when it comes to somebody falling critically ill, he doesn't have a place to go. So he has to travel. if is located in one of the most rural areas of the country. He has to actually travel like an hour and a half or maybe more to reach an hospital which has the bare minimum facilities available to look after him which should not be the case. You know, you should have primary healthcare centers in every nook and corner of the country so that anybody at any point in time should be able to get, uh, you know, state-of-the-art treatment because human life is... I know that, you know, uh, the value of human life is inversely proportional to the population of an economy. Yes. But, but I think we need to, we need to basically um, throw this conception so this conception away and value every human life right and i which and is I where to we to
0: interrupt I, you You're talking no. about this it's such a thing that's touching my heart because i worked in different parts of india and my observation is they have established the primary centers the physical bodies are there and mm-hmm. at least this was 10 years ago uh, uh talking about uh, rural bihar uh, and there is primary care center. The sub-center level is where, which is the closest to the, uh, to people. So at that time, and again, it's been 10 years, so I, I don't have a reference point to validate a lot of stuff I'm saying. Um, the, the issue was the function functioning of it. And the second was optimal functioning of it. So at the sub-center level, they were open once in a while. So that, that which is at population level 5,000. And the primary health care centers are like at a population level 1 lakh, right? So, um, uh, primary health care, well equipped, well staffed, functioning of the staff was a question mark. Um, Sub center, not so much. And at the closest at the village level was the Anganwadi, which is at a population level 1,000. Mm-hmm. And that's where you do a lot of your uh, mother and child uh, activities and children's uh, preschool. And, and, and I definitely found the challenges were around like integration and this whole ASHA and the volunteer workers being underpaid, being not even recognized as employees and being given all the tasks they like, they do so much work. And, and, and I find that there is a huge, uh, they have like a good un- union or a, consortium of ASHA workers but just upskilling them and integrating them would be uh, one of the biggest motivator and they, these people like I remember training them using mobile apps but again what they would get paid back for example if she filled a pregnancy case say for a woman firstly on an average uh, an AM spends one minute per lady and with our app she ended up spending 45 minutes so obviously If we followed the complete protocol, it's not possible. Things like weighing scale, blood pressure measurement, nothing's available. If it's available, it's not used or whatever being the reason they don't know how to use it. The other reasons that we found out were like um, that the way you get reimbursed for doing your task. So there's a register. It's called the antenatal register. And when you fill up the data correctly in that for every entry filled is how these girls or these women get reimbursed. And, uh, so if you're replacing that with an app, uh, you're not going to get, so you're duplicating work through technology. That's what those were my observations and, 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 and they were the obstacles 10 years ago. I don't know if those things have changed now, but in such a case, how do you motivate someone if they're not going to even get paid for <laughs> the work they do and let alone, uh, empowering consumer health where you probably don't even need intermediaries through apps, they can just like take care of themselves people can uh, you know, use online stuff and make some apps available in Hindi or local languages. So in such, because I want to ask you tough questions, what do you think would be, uh, how can we change that?
1: No, I think to answer that question, I think this we could divide could divide the answer into three different parts. What I see as major challenges as far as healthcare is concerned are number one would be the lack of political will. Mm-hmm. Never had the political will Mm-hmm. uh which 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 recognizes healthcare as an important aspect of human life we have not had that vision uh, for the last so many years and we have suffered the wrath of it for uh, you know be, be it over 19 or be it something else we've actually suffered the wrath of it second would be the lack of regulatory mechanism like like you said that you know Uh, People were doing stuff, and you know, uh, and you know, there were no one to guide them. I think what I see not only in healthcare but in other aspects of public machinery is that unlike a private machinery where success or growth or impact is measured using metrics or numbers, we don't have a similar system in the public machinery where you end up measuring the impact using a set of mathematical metrics, right? Which is why. What happens is that the regulatory mechanism or the regulatory people are so. There's a complete lack of regulatory mechanism or a regulatory body, which whose job would be to, uh, you know, identify these metrics, put them in place, and try to measure the, try to see these metrics over a period of time, just to see where they are in terms of the impact healthcare has to generate. We don't have that mechanism. Something like an ombudsman, kind of a thing, but we don't have that third thing is that lack of awareness programs as you said that if there be a mobile app in Hindi or let's say Bhojpuri uh, which is which is which would be used by millions of people comfortable in these two languages uh, or maybe a maybe a Telugu app or maybe a Tamil app which could tell people about now ever since uh, Corona hit India we've had these apps popping up over the last one month or so which talks about what people should do to protect themselves from Corona in terms of washing your hands and stuff like that but why, why is it that I only see these apps popping up only in the midst of a pandemic? Why don't I see these apps or why didn't I see these apps 10 years back? Mm-hmm. You know, in, in, if you talk about a place like Gorakhpur, mm-hmm. which is a Tarai region, which is a wet region, um, you would find that cases of encephalitis, it's almost every year and claims the lives of close to 1,500 to 2,000 children who are the most vulnerable lot. So why is it that there has been no awareness programs around how to protect your children from encephalitis or maybe, maybe dengue. And so many lives are lost to these, uh, these, these diseases, which could well have been stopped, right? So I think there is a lot tech can do. There's a lot tech can do in terms of raising awareness in people. And I think in, in, a certain, in certain places in Kerala, in certain places in, uh, let's say, Madhya Pradesh, efforts are being made to do that. But I think we need to do it at a far more macroscopic level so that everybody is impacted. It's just what does not happen. So I think uh, if I were to answer that question to you or some of that uh, answer for you, I'd say that political will has to be there. We need to have visionary leaders who understand and identify the importance of healthcare in this country and who need who, who need to be able to create policies around that that could, that could actually uh, save a lot of lives. Second, we need Mechanisms to regulate and measure the impact of healthcare. So, if you have that mechanism and somebody monitoring that, you might see a surge in uh, in the quality of healthcare across these different cities and places. Mm-hmm. Third would be that you could always come up with these apps. Now that now it's become uh, you know it's become exponentially easy for people to build apps around healthcare. You know so there are so many apps. I'm talking to you. There are so many apps being released that are uh, that are educating people on the, in, on, on the various intricacies and nuances of how to protect yourself from diseases, namely Corona or some other diseases. So we need to have, just like an app store sort of thing, we need to have a, an ecosystem of apps dedicated towards healthcare and mostly towards raising awareness. Because if you can prevent most of these diseases from happening, that's a major victory in India. And I think most of these diseases could be prevented if people are made aware of them point is that since the education rate is is not at such a high across the country a lot of people uh, are not aware of uh, the inimical behavior of diseases or maybe the uh, the, the lethal nature of these so-called vi- viruses or bacteria which if given proper education and proper uh, uh, proper you know proper grooming these people could actually save themselves and their families
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's what I do. yeah
0: Good. So, Sora, we've heard about your vision and your challenges, and uh, we are excited to share with the listeners that uh, you're helping out with the Health 4.0 Summit. So, what are your expectations from this summit, and how are you contributing towards it? Uh,
1: well, that's a trick question, I suppose. Uh, I'd say that I like the concept. I, li- I I've always wanted to do something in the healthcare space. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I've not had an opportunity to contribute significantly because I was uh, revolving around different planets. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think this is an opportunity for me to create, um, let's say, ideologies around healthcare. Mm-hmm. You know how you know how do you how do I Create something or frameworks around healthcare which could mm-hmm. be followed uh, by governments or by private enterprises to mm-hmm. build policies and products around healthcare mm-hmm. I have a solid product background of close to 16 years. I think I can, uh, I can use some of that experience to come up with uh, some, come up with some very really visionary ideas
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, through which you can actually impact millions of people,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, you know, by, by just raising awareness, as I said, in my last last answer. And so I feel that this is a great platform for uh, innovators and academic people and uh, product guys and uh, entrepreneurs to come down and discuss. Mm-hmm. It's very similar to, um, let's say, a Singularity University of sorts, where people come up and discuss about the future of uh, the future of the world and stuff like that. So it's a it's a very, uh, Peter Peter kind of thing.
0: Um,
1: but I think it's more focused towards uh, healthcare and. So idea is not for us to uh, you know, come up instantly, but the idea is for us to create a movement
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, through which we could connect uh, disparately across uh, different communities and different people who mm-hmm. might be able to bring up an element of change as far as mm-hmm. healthcare is concerned.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I wish, to, I wish to be able to contribute uh, significantly to this cause. And I have a few exciting ideas that I'm going to share with you, Namavata, once this uh, mm-hmm. health support you know, summit uh, starts jump starts um yeah so i think happy to help in any way possible but really excited about it
0: thank you so we had saurabh saha who talked about his experiences in india and his product background and how he can help use that experience towards the next generation of products and policies for health and if you would like to attend the summit our coordinates are ww.help4.tech. and thank you saurabh so much coming on the show today
1: Pleasured all mine.